This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, brought to you by Self Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are allowed to look after you. This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Resilient Teacher Roadmap Course, an eight-week online course for tired teachers to learn how to cultivate well-being and build resilience throughout the school year, not just on the school holidays. Because the truth is that the cure for teacher burnout is not self-care. It's actually systemic and cultural change, real workload reduction, and deep abiding community care. But sadly, that's not the world we currently live in. I believe we can get there, but in order for any of us to be involved in creating and receiving the benefits of those changes, we need to survive and function this term, this week, today. The key to that is building resilience and cultivating well-being through self-advocacy, self-compassion and transformational self-care, not just the Instagrammable kind. So the Resilient Teacher Roadmap course is a framework, not a prescription. It's not a quick fix. It's also not PD or an academic course. It's about your beliefs and behaviours and how they impact and keep you on the downward depletion spiral or on the upwards resilience spiral. Yes, you'll learn practical strategies and be given tips, tricks and activities to try at home. But even more than that, you'll learn the skills to continually take into account the reality of your life and work and to differentiate for what you actually need to support your personal well-being sustainably over the long term. Find out more at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash roadmap. And now enjoy the episode. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. In this episode, I have a fantastic chat with one of my past teacher clients, Emma. Emma shares so generously about the challenges she's experienced with perfectionism, people-pleasing, and the martyr culture getting in the way of her well-being. She has spent a lot of time reflecting on this and unlearning these uh, tendencies, and she shares some beautiful insights in this episode, including around letting go of the need to be the super teacher, recognizing the difference between school-imposed deadlines and self-imposed deadlines, and about the power of having trusted people hold you accountable. Emma also tells us how a supportive principal and two supportive colleagues saved her teaching career a couple of years ago. So I think it is just an incredible lesson that no matter your position in a school, you can and do make a difference to the people that you work with. And the question is, will it be a positive difference or not? There's so much good stuff in this episode, including about setting boundaries, the ancient Jewish practice of Sabbath, and giving yourself permission to do more things just for fun. Emma also shares a bit about her experience in the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program, which is open for enrollment again right now if you are listening to this episode when it goes live in January 2022. The Resilient Teacher is a six-month group coaching program for tired teachers building their resilience and well-being this year. Uh, It is one individual coaching session with me and 12 fortnightly group coaching calls to support you throughout semester one this year. And we begin with a welcome call on Saturday, the 29th of January, 
And the calls are all held on Zoom. So you can join from anywhere in Australia and they're going to be on Tuesday evenings or Saturday mornings every fortnight for semester one. There's also a private group Slack channel, which is a like, like a messaging platform. It's in place of having a Facebook group because I'm trying to, you know, not be on Facebook so much. So there's also a, a beautiful Slack channel that you can uh, keep in touch with everyone in between and share ahas and links and all, the, all that good stuff in the community of teachers that you'll be working with. So you can go to www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher to find out more or click the link in the description of this podcast episode. And without further ado, here is this beautiful interview with Emma. Hi, Emma. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm, um, I'm really pleased you're here because I think you've got a lot to share that would be really valuable for the listeners. So let's start off. Tell us a little bit about your teaching history and your teaching background. Yeah, sure. So I am an English teacher in secondary school. I started teaching nine and a half years ago and I started in a state school in regional Victoria, which was quite a, a low SES area and had a lot, of, a lot of the challenges that are often associated with that. And then after two years, I moved to Melbourne and um, in the independent sector for the last seven and a half years at a couple of different schools around Melbourne suburbs. Yeah. So at the moment when we're recording this, you're in lockdown. Again, you have been <laughs> through the ringer. Yep. <laughs> but we, we won't go there today. <laughs> so looking back, I mean, you, you know, you have many years of experience now. And I know that there's been a bit of a health and well-being journey that you've been on, some ups and downs. Tell us about some of the challenges that you have experienced in your, you know, teacher well-being journey. Yeah. So I sort of was preparing for this question because I knew you were going to ask it. And um, I realized when I made a list of the challenges that I've experienced, probably number one on the list, and that's probably not dissimilar from a lot of teachers is my own perfectionism. <laughs> and yeah, I think I've come to the realization that that's probably the key pressure that I experience. A lot of it comes from myself. Uh, and it's been, it's been a journey to acknowledge that. A lot of the time it's easier to feel like it's something external that is sort of pushing know you to the brink sometimes and there are external pressures they're real they absolutely are and so I, I definitely have a list of other ones as well like <laughs> um but yeah I think I've done a, a lot of quite serious reflecting on my well-being and you know is teaching sustainable for me I love it can I stay in it and be a person um over the last probably eight years and yeah so I think my own perfectionism has been something that I've been chipping away at. I think it started probably with acknowledging or starting to realize that perfectionism is not just a, a cute little um, character trait that is positive. It's actually comes from quite a self-critical voice that is maybe fearful of reputation or fearful of not being valuable enough without performing. And so to stop being like, you know, in job interviews, the classic what's your vice? Oh, I'm just such a perfectionist, you know, and to stop, to stop glorifying that and to start seeing it 
in my life anyway, as something that was fear-driven and unhelpful and to deliberately try and, and work against it. So I had a friend a few years ago say to me, you know, it's important not to aim to be a great teacher. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, it's important to aim to be a good teacher or a good enough teacher. But if you aim to be a great teacher, you're likely to burn out as a person. That is such good advice. (laughs) And I didn't like it because I think my identity was very much connected to being a great teacher. That would make me enough. But I've been sort of slowly through the years, I suppose, learning to accept that as really wise and to let go of the need to be a super teacher in little bits when I can. Yeah. Is that how the perfectionism was showing up for you was that that sense that everything had to be, yeah, like that That I'm the super superhuman, I'm the superhero, I can do everything. Yeah. Yeah, particularly in teaching and particularly I think I started with this desire to sort of prove myself as almost almost arrogantly, I don't think I realised it, but almost arrogantly like, oh, I'm a better teacher than, than these other English teachers. I'll give better feedback. I will genuinely help these kids to learn. And I wouldn't have said it like that out loud. Or even maybe consciously. Or even consciously it was like a secret desire to somehow get that A plus to be, be the best in the class just for my own self-validation. So I used to, I mean, I still do put a lot of time into marking and teaching senior English. The marking load is a, is a real issue. It's real. It's a real external factor. <laughs> it's, it's exactly. And I put that down in the list of external factors for sure. And there's some, lots of things I've done, but one of the things is letting go of the self-critical voice. If I didn't give a hundred percent awesome feedback to every single kid, because I, I did used to spend like 25 minutes for each year nine essay giving feedback, you know, and you can't do that and also have a healthy life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's that, it's that difference between aiming to be great and aiming to be good or good enough. Yeah. And also that's another thing I realized, like, perfectionism can make you a little bit blind to being strategic. So it means you give 100% on A, B, C, and D, whereas in fact you only need to give 90% on A and and C and B and D. You can give 20% and you're still actually going to get the same result from the kids overall. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I, yeah, so when I was in my fourth year, okay, my third year of teaching, I got married and I was planning my wedding and I I actually worked till 9.30 every night and I did that for the first, I think, three or four years of teaching before I hit a bit of a wall. But, yeah, so in my third year of teaching, I was really struggling to plan my wedding because I was working to 9.30 every night. And I remember it was about two weeks before the, or it might have been a month before the wedding. And there were a lot of things that weren't organized. There were no flowers, no cake, no, like just so many things. And I remember just thinking, this is it. I, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I just don't care. I just don't care anymore. I'm going to do something drastic. I'm going to stop work at 8.30, whether I've prepared for the next day or not. And I'm going to do wedding planning. And um, I actually like saw that as a drastic thing to do. 
Um, <laughs> whereas looking back on it, I was spending a lot of time doing lesson prep. That's one of the things that you don't need to do. Like that's something that you gradually develop, you know, your skills at as you increase your experience as a teacher. But you don't have to spend two hours every night doing <laughs> lesson prep for the perfect lesson the next day and then you're going to have to adapt it anyway. So Because there is no perfect lesson. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I think I've learned that there are some things you don't need to die on that hill. Yeah. It's a hard lesson to learn though. Yeah, and it's almost like because my status quo is to try and do 100% for everything, I have to really give 100% for a period of years and then realise that it's not really yielding results and then have like a a crisis of confidence in myself and then really, okay, I'm letting go of the 100% for that particular thing. It would be probably more strategic if I didn't give 100% to begin with on everything and was just you know, conscious of where do I put my energy? So I think for people who are naturally perfectionists, it can be a really exhausting road. And so working on whatever is driving your own perfectionism is probably a really powerful way of being able to get some perspective. Absolutely. And recognizing it, like you said, recognizing that there's that self-critical voice and that, you know, you don't have to listen to that voice it's not necessarily correct, <laughs> but being aware of it in the first place is the first step, isn't it? Yeah. So I have a colleague who is a really dedicated teacher. And one of the ways that I actually, you know, cut myself some slack is I will give really good feedback on formative assessment on the students' drafts and make sure that they understand what they need to do to improve. But when it comes to the summative assessment, I don't feel the need to get it back to them the next day. You know, I'll, I'll take two weeks as a minimum generally because I have to mark it all, which generally takes about eight hours, and then I have to moderate it. And, you know, I've got multiple classes, so I'm just like, you know, two weeks, that's what I can do. But, and sometimes a bit longer for your nines, I'll be honest. Um, but I have a, yeah, this colleague sort of thinks, no, you really have to get it done within a week. And they're also an English teacher and they're really hardworking. But I remember conversations with her where she'll be at work at 6pm and I'll be like, oh, don't stay too late. And she'll be like, well, it's just got to be done. But it doesn't actually have to be done, you know? Like that's a self-imposed deadline. And schools have different deadlines for those sorts of things. But yeah, recognising doesn't actually have to be done in this way. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there are things that we learn along the way from each other as well about what not to do (laughs) as much as as what to do isn't there yeah and it can be um it can be revealing to see in someone else what you're actually doing in yourself like I um another one of the things I've listed on my challenges was a little bit of a martyr complex which I think you have talked about (laughs) before It's definitely my story as well. So I really resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's something that we encourage amongst ourselves. We glorify it. And so my husband is really good because he'll tell me when I'm being a martyr. But I have, I actually have some really good friends who won't kind of put up with that from me either. They'll be like, okay, so what are your choices? Like, are you going to continue with this or do you want to why don't you try and get another job and I'll just be like no I just wanted to be glorified as a martyr (laughs) so but I've seen 
in, you know, the offices and the staff room, the way that we perpetuate that by sometimes putting down people who have not got a martyr complex. Mm, Who have strong boundaries. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely done that, but I didn't notice it until I saw other people doing it. So someone comes in and was like, how's your weekend? And then the common response is, oh, I was, you know, spent the whole time marking, what about yours? And if you say, oh, you know, I went on a picnic with my family or I went to the gym and I had a great weekend and now I'm relaxed and ready for the week, there'll be this sense of resentment and, well, you clearly don't have enough marking, do you? And, you know, and it's very easy and I've definitely taken part in that, but I realise how we perpetuate the sense that we we are supposed to be martyrs on ourselves by being like, oh, we don't want to be judged by our colleagues as the one who's not dying under workloads. So, or who, or who is making some of those strategic decisions that are really hard and doing that self-work to unlearn the things that are not working for them, which is it's actually really hard. It's a different kind of hard work to face the, some of those things in yourself and to start to, you know, like because I, I also have a husband who will point out when I'm being a martyr and it's like, no, I'm not. You know, the, the you know, the the little voice inside is like, wah, 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 how dare you? Wah, 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 wah. And then later it's like, oh, okay, actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's really good to have people around you who will hold you accountable for being an empowered person at times. Cause I think my default can be to go to victim martyr and learning how to be an empowered person has been a part of the story of the last 10 years as well. And, like, I have some wonderful colleagues who are also on that journey and will say things like, oh, I had a great weekend and I did this or last night I just, you know, took some time to myself and will deliberately say that in the office. To normalise it. Yeah. (laughs) So that can be really good. It can be. And I think, too, if that's not the office that you work in, if that's not the staff room situation where you are, see if you can find, you know, some other people in your life who can, normalize that and validate for you you know that's certainly one of the things I I hope to be creating with the resilient teacher group coaching program but you know it can be it can be circles on Instagram although the teacher gram can be a bit a bit that way too sometimes I find but you know it doesn't have to be at your workplace that you can you can get that reinforcement from like you said you've got some friends who just don't put up with it from you and they just ask you the blunt question of like well what are you going to (laughs) do you've got a choice Yeah, which is a little confronting, but can also be really helpful. And the other thing that I think I've done to try and avoid feeling stuck and like a victim or a martyr, and this has been something that I felt you have encouraged me in this year through the Resilient Teacher Program and coaching calls, is to feel like it's okay to go part-time and to actually take on some other like options for income. And so I found I really haven't done that. I I went part-time in my fifth year of teaching because I actually got to the point at the end of my fourth year where I was very much in a a burnout place. I was, um, I'd been doing like at least 60 hours a week for four years and generally getting about five hours a week behind with marking, even with that workload. So once a month, I would realise I've got 20 hours of marking that I have built up and I don't know what I'm going to do and I have a little breakdown. (laughs) So I did that for a few years and then at the end of 20, 
15, I was like, I just can't, I can't go on teaching if it's like this. And I talked to my principal about it and I ended up breaking down in the meeting and he was like, look, you're just in burnout and my wife's gone through this and I think you need support. And so I had some really supportive people at that school, someone in leadership actually, who said that she would mentor me and help me to reduce how much time. And there were actually two people and one person who did it totally informally who said, look, we'll mentor you and help you get some of your life back. And I went down to point eight and also had those two people mentoring me. And honestly, I don't think I would have gone back if they hadn't said that. Like they probably saved my teaching career in a sense, which I'm really grateful for because I love teaching, but I just needed that reassurance that something would change and they would help me. So that was the first sort of step I took. And I've been part-time ever since. Like not that point eight is actually that part-time. It's just a slight reduction in, you know, like it, it is a slight reduction in workload in the sense that usually if you're a high school teacher, you lose a a class. Yeah. So an afternoon here or there. Yeah. Well, what it translated into was about 45 to 50 hours a week, point eight. Yeah. Which is still full-time work. It's still more than full-time <laughs> work, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, uh, so it's very easy to feel resentful about that. And look, I don't feel a hundred percent hunky dory about English teachers workload in general and, and teachers in general, but it's kind of like, it's what I've done. I've decided I'm happier living with the slight resentment <laughs> about the overteaching workload, but still doing a job that I love and I've chosen to do than I am living with the resentment of not having a life. <laughs> yeah, and, and also the all the flow-on effect of being pretty burnt out because it, it really does start to catch up with you. And, yeah, because I completely agree with you. Like it doesn't – it's not fair that that's the choice that a lot of teachers feel they need to make is to take a little bit of a pay cut to get some kind of sense of normal, quote unquote, not even quite normal, but, you know, like normal full-time workload. It's not fair. And also it's where we are. So can we make, like you said, that empowered choice rather than staying stuck in victim about the unfair situation (laughs) that the teaching workload presents? (laughs) And I think, yeah, from time to time, I do still have a little rant about it because it does feel frustrating. But yeah, just to be reminded as well that I could choose not to be a teacher. Like there are other career options available to me. I'm not stuck in it, even though I've never really considered other career options as viable much. Like I haven't thought much about it, but really I could if I wanted to. And so I do know that I love teaching and so I, I try and reframe it that I'm in a job that I love, I feel is really purposeful and I'm grateful that I can afford to, you know, work part-time and and that's another interesting one, like the question, can you afford to do that? Because, for instance, um, my husband hasn't been working the last few years. He's got a chronic health condition. And um, that made me feel like, look, I, I can't afford to cut down. And I, I talk to a lot of teachers who are like, oh, it's lovely for you that you can work part-time and you can afford that. And I'm, I'm speaking from a pretty privileged position, I suppose. I, 
we have a house and um, we have savings. But at the same time, for a lot of people, I think the financial thing can be a real blocker to just reclaiming some of your life back. And for me personally, it has been a loss financially and a sacrifice. But where I've been at, it's been, it's really been worth it. And each time I've cut back, so I've actually cut back my workload again this year to point point six because I've I've had some health issues um, myself, which I'm wanting to work on. And that was really scary. And for a long time, I just felt I absolutely couldn't do that. And then when, since I've done it, it's actually felt really freeing and liberating. And I've, you know, got a few more, I've got a bit more in my tank to be creative about developing new ways of getting income. So I'm doing tutoring on the side. I've managed to get into VCE exam marking for a couple of subjects that I've wanted to do for years which is a good investment in future, you know, tutoring credentials. And yeah, my, even my husband has managed to be quite creative and managed to do some Uber Eats driving actually <laughs> <laughs> um, and some disability support work, things that he, he can do. So I, I sort of had in my mind beforehand, oh, no, I can't possibly cut down because my hubby can't work and I can't, you know, I can't do anything other than teaching. But, well, and you do, (laughs) and that's true. But it was once we cut down, we had, like, the creativity to explore other options just for us because the stress wasn't as high. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it is a really... It's obviously a line that everybody has to walk for themselves about what, what what can we afford. But also I think the thing that people often don't... The question people often don't ask themselves or perhaps the is that kind of how bad does it have to get before this becomes an imperative? And unfortunately, the other side of the story that I have seen a couple of times actually, and I think Gabby Stroud even talked about it on the episode that she came on, which was a couple of years back now, but I'll make sure the link's in the show notes, but about what happens when you completely burn out and you actually end up quitting in a really, you know, stopping work in a really final way. In a really final way and or in a way where it was like, it's happened quite suddenly. There's there wasn't a plan in place, and now all of a sudden the income is zero because you're actually incapable of work. That is a very frightening place to be in as well. So it's not an easy line to walk for anybody that that decision about finances. But sometimes, you know, to reduce a bit to get a little bit of breathing room and to like, you know, maybe be able to have a bit more creativity or you just cut back on some of the unnecessary discretionary things or to to really be deliberate about trying to build up savings and things like that, having a plan and being really proactive about it rather than, you know, ending up in a crisis situation, which is quite scary for people. And, and the financial element of that is very frightening as well. So it's a tricky one. I think, um, I'm not saying, oh, everyone just quit your jobs or, you know, work, work point two or something. But I think from my experience, I found that my, my fear that I couldn't afford it was really huge and stopped me from cutting down for a long time. And actually, I think, you know, if I made some sacrifices and changes, I actually could. And it was really, I think, worth it. So in some situations, the fear can be worse than the reality, I think. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because that's a it's it's not one I've covered a lot on the podcast, but I think it's a really important one because it does keep people, you know, and that's our our world, isn't it? You know, money makes the world go round, but but it does. We need money to live, and that's a reality, and we can't ignore it. But it it does keep people feeling like they can't change because they need this income, can't make any changes at all, and it's and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing change as you've demonstrated. Yeah, and um, like I'm thinking of other alternative ways of getting income also makes me feel less at the mercy of the school timetable. So it's kind of I was feeling stuck on a hamster wheel of, you know, I'm just going to have to keep going through this daily grind of interminable work that I'll never get to the end of, but I can't afford to stop. And I hope that next year they won't give me classes with a heavy marking load, but if they do, I'll have to do them. I kind of just feel like it's not as high stakes to push back a little and say, oh, no, just not up to taking, say, three BCE classes and just be too much or, um, you know, and, and, oh, okay, you give me three VCE classes, I'll just say no to one and take on a few more tutoring students. Like I feel a bit like I have a bit more freedom now. A bit more flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just mindful of the time. I can keep going uh, and this will edit this out. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, were there any, any other challenges you wanted to cover before we talk about, you know, what you do for your well-being these days? Yeah, I'm happy to to spend a, a couple more minutes doing that because I did write down some more. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, and then you can pick the ones you want to talk about. I think we'll we'll leave them in. I'm happy to have a longer episode. It's good stuff. <laughs> I told okay. you, you have stuff to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. So another one was people pleasing. Yes, another one I resonate strongly with, and and I think others listening will too. Yeah, because we care about people. If you go into teaching, you don't care about people. We probably shouldn't be in teaching. But if you go into teaching, you do care about people. You can be very vulnerable to people pleasing. And so I think it's the intent behind it. Like, are you doing it because you're terrified of people not thinking you're the best or you're scared of them being angry with you? So I really hate people being angry with me, like in a pathological, bad, overly sensitive way. So I am learning it's okay and really healthy sometimes for people to be angry at you because what that means is you have a boundary <laughs> that if you're if you're pleasing people the whole time, you're actually being a doormat and that's not healthy for your students and it's not responsible for your own health. And it's not always helpful for the other person. This is the other thing. Sometimes people pleasing, and this is the lesson that I have kind of been learning around it, is that it actually stops other people's growth <laughs> because, you know, they ask you something, you just say yes and you just solve the problem every time and they never actually have to deal with the situation <laughs> or face whatever it is that, you know, whatever they have to get done, you know, it's actually sometimes preventing them from learning whatever lesson they needed to learn too. And we talk a lot about this in terms of kids. So I think this has been like almost teaching has almost been helpful for me in the sense that I'm working with colleagues who are like, it's really important for the kids' growth that you don't just say, oh, no, you don't have to do that homework. You know what I mean? Like, So obviously I don't do that. But like in a, at a very micro level, you do have to learn to assert boundaries for the sake of someone else's growth and also for your own sake. Like, um, So learning with kids how to be like, it's okay that you're angry at me 
doing the right thing by me and by you. So some ways that I have to deal with it with my marking. So the day after students finish a sack, it's usually, when are we getting our sacks back? And at the moment, some of my year 11s, I'm in lockdown and online teaching, they figured out how to change their Zoom names, which is quite cute. And I haven't followed it up yet because they're being quite cute about it. But the one, you know, they've started making their Zoom name, like, when is the sack back? When is the sack back? <laughs> like, now you're making me a grumpy teacher. Um, but like, I have to just, I give them a timeline. I'll be like, oh, you know, two weeks time, it's happening then. Then they'll they'll grumble. But I think just being okay with that and just knowing that it's that's their emotion to deal with, but what I'm doing is appropriate. The other thing is don't volunteer for extra responsibility just to earn approval. Just yeah. don't, don't do it. And I, I still really struggle with not doing it. So I tend to do it and then... <laughs> then undo it you know I'll just that's a step better than not undoing it for me but what I've started to be able to do is to go oh okay yeah look I really would like to do that I I, and I'm uh, type seven on the Enneagram which is like I get so excited about new opportunities so I'm like I really 88 percent am wanting to do this right now and then you know I've learned to say but let me just Confirm tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Let me get back to you while I've, you know, when I've had a chance to actually go and think about what this really involves. Yeah. And so I got asked to, even this week on Monday, I got asked, can I take on another tutoring student? And at the moment, I'm actually at a happy capacity place. And I know that taking on more won't be helpful, especially when I'm doing some exam marking later on. But I really didn't want to say no to this lady who'd already asked me a couple of times earlier this year and I said oh yeah maybe later maybe later this year and so I sent the email last night just saying look I'm sorry I just don't think I can at the moment and that was really hard for me and so I just sort of celebrated that I did that with my husband he's like yeah no that's good (laughs) and I've still had the conversation with someone at my school about would you be interested in taking on a second leadership role if it became available in the future? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course I would. And I need to email them and say, well, you know what? That's not the best thing for me at the moment. Let's just go with just one at a time. And, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, I realise that I like to make people feel like, think I'm a super teacher. And so if people say things like, oh, you're a legend, you're the best, you know, that can really hit, like, feed your ego and you can then sacrifice things that you shouldn't. So if you're, you can just get rid of the idol of your own ego a little bit, that can be helpful and painful but helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a process, you know. It's a process, a long, painful process that's very healthy long term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that I've started doing is trying to deliberately plan fun activities or like refreshing activities. And I think I talked with you earlier this year about how that has really um, just made some part of me go, yeah, take that teaching. I still have a life. So I I signed up for a tap dancing class, which I was delighted about because like I've never done that. And I just... Even as a kid, I was like, well, that would be so fun. So that was really fun. I felt like I'd reclaimed 30 minutes of my life 
each time I did that. <laughs> and I've also, I don't think I've told you this, but I signed up for a writing group or I've helped to form a writing group, which is really big for me because I did creative writing at uni and I haven't really written since, but I'm like, yeah, I'm doing something with my life that I wanted to do. Yeah, and and something with your time that's not related to teaching that it's and and also you know because it falls under the category of like feed your soul right which is one of the one of the five you know elements that I talk about in the resilient teacher approach and you know so often we don't do those things because they're not quote-unquote important enough because they're just for fun they're not urgent and they're just for fun they're not necessarily productive in a kind of works sort of sense it's not helping us tick off the to-do list and so we put them off because we think well it's it's just for fun it's like I think what I was thinking is like oh I have to wait for a time when my life is more under control in general I have to get to this certain level of under controlness before I can do flippant activities like that yeah flippant yeah exactly and actually what happens is they give us energy (laughs) yeah like I realized Fun is a really big thing for me. So, and being an extrovert stuck in lockdown, that's one of the the tricky things at the moment. Like I need fun. Yeah. I'm guessing you're not doing the tap dancing at the moment. No, no. But I am thinking I have signed up for a writing competition. So I was thinking of maybe doing a bit of that, even though today, today is my day off, but I, you know, and I've got tons of marking to do. But I'm kind of, I'm developing this habit of just, no, I don't want to work on my day off. So I'm thinking maybe I'll spend some time drafting a short story. (laughs) Why not? Just, yeah, actually just do some things with my life. Feed your soul because you're a person first and a teacher second and you're allowed to do the person first stuff sometimes. Honestly, I'm still wrestling with that, but I want to. Yeah. I think we all are. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a it's an, a constant reminding because our world gives us the opposite message all the time. Yeah. And one thing that I do, I do struggle with boundaries, but one thing that helps is if it's an ingrained habit. And so a few years ago, actually when I pretty much was almost burning out at my second school and talking to my principal, he, he said to me, like, you have to have a day off a week. You have to. And coming from him, it almost like helped give me permission to start it. Yeah. And I've been um, like investigating, I, I come from a sort of faith-based background and been investigating the idea of, of Sabbath, which is kind of like an ancient Jewish tradition of, of really stopping from work. A day of rest. Yeah. A day of rest. And I read a book about it a few years ago, which really intrigued me. Their saying was, cease what is necessary and do that which gives life. And that was like the rule. And it was like, learn how to rest, learn how to play, cease what's necessary, do that which gives life. And so I have made a habit of Saturdays just being a Sabbath day, even, even when I've got tons of work to do. I'll, I'll catch it up on the Sunday. But, yeah, that, and that helps. It makes it easier to switch off when you've got the habit of it. Yeah, absolutely. So... That's most of what I'd written down. <laughs> yeah, no, that's you've just shared so much wisdom, Emma, and I really appreciate it. And I think, I, I think others will too. I'm sure there will be people who recognise themselves in your story. So, 
what does well-being and self-care, you know, look like in your life at the moment, especially at the moment in lockdown? Yeah. <laughs> um, in lockdown, it's hard, but there are some things that I've learned. So <laughs> one, it's like that physical setup makes a difference. So, and I'm saying these sort of things to my students a bit at the moment who are struggling, but like sit at a desk, have a space that's only for work and stay away from it when you're not working put on your shoes and do your hair. <laughs> Little things that make you feel like, oh, okay, I'm at work. Actually, I've, I've realised as well, although it's really tempting to go in lockdown, the only good thing about it is sleeping in. It doesn't help me if I'm sleeping in because I just wake up really foggy and blurry and the whole world is just a big mesh of what is happening in life. I don't know. So... I've still been getting up at 6.30, but just going on a walk and taking that extra time, which I really actually enjoyed. And, yeah, I <laughs> because of the lack of fun, my husband is currently persuading me to sign up to deliver Uber Eats with him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll actually do it, but <laughs> he gets a bonus if I do. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, well, that sounds fun. I'll do it for like a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> but just, I don't know, do something. I realise for me fun means doing something new that you haven't yeah, done novelty. before. Novelty. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But in terms of life in general, I think Sabbath being, I think what I wrote down, some of the things that I really got from working with you and with the group on the Resilient Teacher program was having a processing partner who you can process about teaching with and they can actually help you develop the capacity to be your own advocate and actually just a little example I reduced my hours to 0.58 technically at the start of this term and I didn't have a day off a week under 0.58 and that that happens with a secondary timetable but it was going to really compromise my capacity to, to really actually have some non-work time in the week. And I had a, a day where I just had a homeroom and one class and it, I sort of asked the timetable, could we change it? And I was like, no, it's going to be too hard. And I was a bit resentful and frustrated. And then we, we talked in the coaching program and one of the group members said, no, like I'm a timetabler and if that happened to one of my staff, I would be doing whatever I could. It's not, you know, it's not okay for you to be coming in every day, 10 days a cycle for a 0.58. And I just felt empowered to push again or just, just not push but ask, look, is there any other way? So I asked someone else, is there any other way? And I wouldn't have asked that question if I hadn't had that discussion in the group. And um Actually, there was another way and they, they found a solution for me and it's been massive to have a day off. Absolutely. So having someone who can process with you and, you know, my husband's also enjoyed <laughs> having... Yeah, who understands teaching. <laughs> exactly, having someone who understands teaching and not having to process totally at my husband the whole time. He's appreciated that. But yes. <laughs> someone who understands the world <laughs> that you're in, I think, is really helpful. So, and it helps you remember it's not selfish to put a value on your own time. And I think that's something that, yeah, I've really gained from talking with you as well and just helping to reinforce that. 
also it's not all or nothing. I think you've reminded me of that quite a few times that growth takes time. So it's not like, oh, I'm, you know, now perfect at well-being and before I wasn't actually I'm making lots of steps. And setbacks are a part of the growth process as well. It doesn't mean that you've lost everything. And sometimes there's a bit of trial and error too. So it's sort of like, well, we're going to try this, but it might not work. It might not actually help. So we might have to backtrack it or try something else or, you know, that two steps forward, one step back is just the way things go. And adjusting and, and situations change, like when lockdown comes, you know, and you think you do have to adjust and, and it doesn't mean you've gone backwards. You're developing that skill of looking after yourself as you keep going forward. And then, yeah, the, the phrase that you keep saying, reduce the, or keep the schedule, reduce the scope when things get hard. I, I don't think I've really explored that much, but I want to because I think when I go into survival mode teaching, I drop all self-care. And I think, I think reducing the, what is it, the amplitude of the highs and the lows so that it's just a little bit more stable throughout the term might be a really helpful helpful tip moving forward the next step for you the next you know learning and unlearning process yeah I think so let's go there (laughs) oh thank you so much well I'd like to um just say how grateful I am for yeah the work that you do and I think this is a really important podcast because I think particularly teachers who are hitting their stride in the first few years of teaching, but a lot of teachers, me included, still need encouragement that there are things that we can do that are within our control that can really help us to stay in a job that we love. And, yeah, I appreciate your passion for it and some of the wisdom you've shared this year. Oh, thank you, Emma. It has been a real pleasure. And, yeah, I'm glad that it's hitting home because that's that's what my aim has always been to be, yeah, letting teachers stay in the class, teachers who love the classroom stay in the classroom, you know, and it definitely might require some changes, but it is possible. It is possible. Well, that sounds like a nice place to wrap up. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Emma. I think there's takeaways for all of us, no matter how many years you've been teaching and what your role in a school is. I think we can all learn a lot from Emma's stories and the insights that she shared with us today. So I just want to give you another quick reminder about the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program, which is starting at the end of January 2022. Or if you're listening way down the track, there will be other rounds. So head to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher to find out when the next round opens. So the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program is a six-month group coaching program for teachers building their resilience and well-being. And I just want you to take a moment to imagine what your life and work would be like if you didn't feel exhausted and depleted and resentful all the time. If your healthy habits, self-care practices and well-being rituals were a regular and established part of your weekly schedule and you didn't feel guilty for making decisions or taking actions to nurture and nourish yourself as a person first and a teacher second, what if you found joy and accomplishment in your teaching again because you had the energy and enthusiasm at home and at work and you had strong boundaries with yourself and others that allowed you to truly treat yourself like that person first and the teacher second? 
That is exactly what we aim to achieve with the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program. It is not a quick fix. It, that's why it's a six-month program because a lot of these you know, habits and tendencies and approaches to our health and life and well-being are so ingrained and they really just take some time and patience and self-compassion to shift. And of course, we're doing this in community with a community of like-minded teachers who really want to show up and support you. And there is something to be said for the magic that occurs when a group of beautiful, generous, thoughtful teachers get together because honestly, it just makes my heart sing the way you support each other especially when there's a a safe space facilitated. And one of the the things that I find really powerful about this program is that generally there's a a mix of teachers from all over Australia, so different school systems, you know, different states, whether they're in the government sector or the independent sector. And so there's enough differences there for, you know, to get a real diversity of thought, but there's also enough similarities, but it's not people from your own school So there's a real freedom that is created in that because teachers, you are so generous to each other and having that community of like-minded support is so, so powerful. So if you are feeling called, I really invite you to come and join us in the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program this round. We kick off on the 29th of January, that's a Saturday, or uh, you can start on the 1st of February if you want to join the Tuesday night program. Head on over to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher to find out more. And you can also email me or DM me um, on Instagram if you've got questions. I'm totally happy to chat to you about it. So as always, remember that you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of your own care. And may you be a beacon of inspiration and an example to encourage your colleagues to treat themselves that way too. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.